The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we can learn to use them in new and powerful ways to create the life we've always dreamed of. On our program today, with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon, we'll address who you are, how to come to know what you believe and why, how to accept and love yourself, and how you can make changes that help you create the empowered, happy, successful life you want. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona, that is. And if I sound funny, I still am battling the residue of the flu. I feel fine, but my voice is a little weird, so bear with me. Um, this has become something of an Eldon Taylor week on the Self-Improvement Blog. Uh, take a look. At, go to theselfimprovementblog.com. You'll see some articles that Eldon has written. You'll see his picture, some videos. Um, and I encourage you to do this because this is a man you're going to want to remember. Trust me on this. Um, so take a look at the self-improvement blog. The big question after all the news we've had lately is what makes people do what they do? And what compels two young men whose futures are ahead of them? to plant a bomb at the Boston Marathon and end any future they might have had. What were they thinking? What drives another to shoot children in a neighborhood school? Or what compels a young woman to shoot, stab, and slit the throat of her boyfriend? Um, that's a That's been a big one here in, in Phoenix. What makes a man kidnap and hide three young women until they can escape a decade later? When two children are raised together in almost identical ways, why does one end up as a successful businessman or professional and the other one as a drug dealer or rapist or something along that line? Why do some people dedicate their lives to helping humanity while others set out to destroy it? You know, meeting where the rubber meets the road. What makes the difference in whether you think life's a bitch and then you die or life's a beach? Today's guest asks and answers such questions as these in his book, although these are right out of this last week's news. He asks this question for you to think about. What would you say if I told you that belief influences Almost everything in your life from your DNA to the operation of your endocrine and immune systems, from your emotional well-being to the stability of your moods and attitudes, from your relationships with others to your relationships with yourself, in short, literally every aspect of your life. We're going to ask him to answer some of these questions. 
Dr. Eldon Taylor is an award-winning New York Times best-selling author of over 300 books and audio and video programs. He is the host of the popular Hay House radio show, Provocative Enlightenment, and is the inventor of the patented InnerTalk technology. He's the founder and president of Progressive Awareness Research Incorporated. Dr. Taylor has earned doctor, doctorates in clinical and pastoral psychology, is an ordained interdenominational minister, and a fellow in the American Psychotherapy Association. If we listed all of his credentials and accomplishments, there simply would not be time for the show. And so I'm just going to stop here and say, Dr. Taylor, welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. We're so happy to have you with us. Well, it's indeed my pleasure, Dr. Connell. And how about you just call me Elton, you know? How about if I do that, and how about if I'm Irene? All right, that's wonderful. I like that. That's cool. Um, for those listeners who really haven't heard about you before, and I can't imagine that there's anybody out there who hasn't, but just in case, give them a thumbnail of who you are, where you're coming from. Oh, wow. <laughs> a thumbnail, Eldon. A thumbnail. All right. Let's see. How do I condense it? I don't know. <laughs> where where I'm coming from. I, I, you know, the bottom line there is, I guess, for many, many years, I was a practicing criminalist. And, uh, you know, I listened Thank to God it wasn't a practicing criminal. Yeah. But, but, you know, Irene, therein was one of my big ahas that launched everything, you know, my work for the past 30-some-odd years because, well, you know, we were at the Utah State Prison. I was running a tight double-blind study. We had the latest psychometric instruments, and when we were all done... There wasn't anything new to be learned. The inmate population had high scores in self and social alienation. But when I visited with him, when we sat and we talked, I heard repeatedly this this mechanism that displaces responsibility. And, And it essentially can be condensed this way. Ah, but for the grace of God, there go you. You know, the world did this to me. Uh... Life sucks and then you do die, you know. The fact of the matter is my daddy was an alcoholic, my mommy was a prostitute, the neighbor boy mainlined me when I was eight years old. Those were the kinds of stories we heard. Almost always they were exaggerated, and as you pointed out, you could have siblings come from the same household. One would be a professional, the other would be uh, in maximum security in the prison system. Uh, it, It was... The difference between the two was not in the environment, it was in the choices that they made. And many of those choices, they arise out of beliefs. But here's what I learned in that very get-go. As we sat and talked to them, this function of blame, this way of displacing responsibility, I found I was guilty of too. You know, they say we teach what we want to learn, I'll tell you, at that point in my life, I was very successful as a criminalist, and I had the accoutrements, you know, the big cars and the real estate, and I even had a hobby horse farm, a racing stable. Uh, but my life sucked, I mean, in, in every other respect except for that external. And I had left home when I was very young, and there were lots and lots of people I blame for many things in my life that I'd had to deal with that I, I thought were unfair, that I just shouldn't have had to deal with. And so what I discovered with this inmate population, Irene, was that 
I was guilty of the same thing they were. I displaced responsibility. I was blaming. The difference was I'd found a socially acceptable way to act it out. So instead of acting it out against society, I was acting it out against the so-called bad guy. That's a real epiphany to come from that place where you're just some kind of, forgive me, hard ass. You think you know it all. Uh, you're on top of the world to suddenly be humiliated, humbled by the realization that very fine line between who you are and who they are. And it all comes down to, to this mechanism of blame. That was a starting point for me. You know, we created a interdiction um, uh, modality that was used at the prison. It was so successful that uh, it was cloned out to many other prisons. It, it really even surprised me, you know. Uh, the data was just robust. People started asking me about what we had done, and I started explaining, and next thing I knew I was lecturing, and then uh, we had developed a technology in this process, and and people were asking me, could we use this technology, InterTalk is what it's called, could we use this technology to, you know, assist someone with, a, uh, with ADHD? How about an oncology patient? How about a Fortune 500 executive? How about an elite athlete? And as we began to expand the use of the technology, I began to realize that, one, there's no such thing as an innocuous belief. Two, our beliefs are all tied together in one giant web. And and like any spider web, you tweak one and it vibrates them all. You know, People tend to think our beliefs are segmented. I have my life beliefs such as uh, this is what I think about uh, uh, abortion. This is what I think about politics. This is what I think about uh, morality. Uh, then I have my religious beliefs. I have my spiritual beliefs. I have my my beliefs about people that I know that I've met. And we we segment them and we, and we think of them as being separate, but they are not separate. They are all wrapped into into each other. And so they're as holistic as we are. They are absolutely. And and so we can have a belief in, in some compartment that we think is totally isolated from the rest of what's going on in our life, but it's not isolated. It It, it is impacting us. It is infecting uh, our thinking. You know, when I went to school, Irene, I, I, I think you probably were told something similar to this. I was told, you know, DNA is fixed and it's hardwired. IQ is fixed. You can't change it. Uh, personality gets fixed between the ages of like four and six. Uh, uh, brain cells begin to die, uh, in the age of 30, and, uh, and that's the one area of the body where they don't regenerate. All I'm inclined is... to believe that when it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. All of it I is, know it's not. <laughs> all of it is false to fact. Today, I just finished a CEU course two weeks ago. I spent an entire day with a group of uh, neuroscientists, psychiatrists, psychologists, etc., uh, in a course facilitated by a neuroscientist where we just looked at one study after another study after another study and its impact on what you could think of as positive psychology. There were two bottom takeaways, really important ones. The first one, you absolutely can change. You not only can change all those things I just listed, but you can actually add gray matter to your brain. And there are methods to do this. I mean, that's incredible. This is not hocus pocus. But here, you want an empirical fact? You 
takeaway, too, was this. You can only change what you believe you can change. If you're fixed in your mindedness, you know, I already know it. I've figured it all out. You know, and I have my beliefs, and they're the right ones. And, you know, don't perturb me any. Uh, well, hey, you have a self-fulfilling prophecy, so I hope you're walking on water. Because if you're not, the fact is you probably have a number of self-limiting beliefs that stop you from realizing the beauty of life, all of your potential, and everything that you can become. Now, when Those I say that, I'm obviously thoughts. not talking about you, Irene, because uh, Dr. Irene Conlon, you know, actually, she does walk on water. Well, not often. <laughs> not often. I love it. I, I do, too, but only when I know where the rocks are. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, you just can't, You just published in paperback your book, I believe. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, that's why you're on my blog so much this week. But, and I don't want to sound like an infomercial here. You have some really great offers that go along with that. So right up front, let's tell people how they can find you and then we'll go to break because this is, this is a book that really everybody should read and you might as well get in on this great deal. So tell us how we can reach you, how people can find you and then let's go to our first break. All right. Well, thank you very much, Irene. Uh, if you go to my website, Eldon Taylor, E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com, uh, there will be a large banner at the top of the page. It has a picture of the book, I believe, and what you believe matters. If you click on that banner, it will open up and tell you the whole story of what we're doing and what, what's called a launch party. This is a Hay House publication, and uh, the launch party has thousands of, uh, thousands of dollars worth of gifts and prizes there for you. And, and some of the very best illuminaries, over a hundred of them, including Dr. Irene, have <laughs> offered gifts to, to motivate you, uh, you know, to get this book. Because they, you know, we all know how important it is that these beliefs are. And, and Dr. Irene and myself and everybody else uh, involved in this, we do the work we do um, because our, we genuinely care. We genuinely care that you become all that you can become. The world changes one person at a time. You may be that person today. Uh, so it, you don't get the book from me. You, you can get the book from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, Books A Million. You can get it in all your brick-and-mortar bookstores. But if you go to my website first, click on that banner, and it'll explain to you how to take your receipt, come back, and input that receipt to get thousands of dollars worth of uh, of special gifts, uh, special uh, um, downloadable programs uh, ranging from meditations to screensavers, everything in between. And as I say, uh, including a wonderful gift from Dr. Conlon. Oh, thank you. And on that note, while you're going to Eldon Taylor's website, eldentaylor.com, that's it, isn't it? That's great. Um, we're going to go to break, so you have time to do that. This is Irene Conlon saying, come back because we have more. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. 
Wealth Solutions for the 99% is a weekly talk show focused on helping you develop and execute a game plan to build wealth. Your host, Paul LaJoy, who built a $50 million-plus company in less than five years, believes it's impossible to be poor in America, and he'll show you why with his innovative strategies. Joining Paul as co-host is radio personality Kim Reed, an experienced entrepreneur and corporate leader who's known as the Corporatepreneur. The show is upbeat, fun, and informative. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The challenges facing our teens today mean that more than ever, we need to be there to support them and encourage them. The Dr. Stem Show is here to provide discussions about topics that will help promote healthy relationships, self-image, and success for teens, parents, and the community. Our young people can achieve more in life than they ever dreamed possible. The Dr. Stem Show, hosted by Dr. Stem Malatini, will foster these discussions and encourage your participation. Listen every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, and 9 p.m. GMT on Voice America Empowerment. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Dr. Eldon Taylor, and we're talking about this this critical topic called beliefs, something that um, we're seeing acted out now in big ways on the news. So, now, Eldon, you talk about beliefs. How do you define a belief? What is a belief to you? Well, and that's a very good question, an excellent question, actually. You know, I've done nothing but radio this week, as you know. We've talked about <laughs> that but because of the launch of the paper book. Not a single person has asked me that question, and it's probably the most important question about, you know, everything that we're going to discuss. Well, it's hard but, to talk about something when you don't know what it is or how sure. you define it. I may have a totally different definition. Yeah. Well, and, and to me... Our beliefs, I, I'm not talking about spiritual beliefs or, uh, or political beliefs. I'm talking about all life beliefs. So let's see what I mean by all life beliefs. Well, this would be the tapestry that includes how you see yourself, what, what you think you're capable of doing, um, what you have experienced. Uh, it would include all those unconscious uh, uh, strategies, defense mechanisms that have been so effectively repressed from your memories that you're not even aware you have them anymore, that are a part of your process of adapting. You know, a human condition, we, we are herd animals, and it's important to us that we are accepted. Our 
if you will, hedonic calculus for acceptance, the maximization of pleasure, the minimization of pain. It's painful when we're rejected. It's pleasurable when we're accepted, when we're praised. So we come into the world and we're really very innocent and and we have this enthusiasm, this exuberance. We have this exploratory nature about ourselves. We're just this newborn baby. I mean, we'll, we're inquisitive. We'll, we'll get into anything. We'll study everything. We, we especially look at faces. And, and then one day maybe we, we pick something out of our diaper to taste it and we're met with a sudden, you know, you don't do that. And as we mature, you know, we, we, we go along and, 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 one day, someone says, listen, little Johnny, you shouldn't show anger. Anger is not good. Anger is a bad emotion. Please don't ever do that again. And, and we take the anger and we kind of hide it. We kind of put it in a bag behind yeah. an invisible bag. And then we're told, oh, oh, Johnny, you just shouldn't cry. You know, men don't cry, John. No. Just don't no. don't cry. That's not the right thing to do. So so we put that emotion in the back. And we go on. And every time we are told these things, you know, every time someone gives us that look or they shake that finger, they tell us we shouldn't we we feel fearful. We're being rejected. It hurts us. Now we adapt. Some people adapt aggressively. You know, the old fight-flight mechanism, don't get in my face like that. That aggressive adaptation is, is how they begin to adapt. Well, that gets, the, that is, that aggression is natural, but it can be molded to where it actually turns out to be pathological. Uh, and it's in these early stages that we're developing how we're going to handle and how we're going to compensate for the rejection. So and, and as we go into school, our peers are saying things to us, even our parents. You know, we hear all this stuff. That I think of it as the no-don't syndrome. Uh, Irene, you know, <laughs> you're not old enough. You're not smart enough. Don't do this. Uh, you'll never amount to anything. You're skinny. You're fat. You know, our peers laugh at us because we say something they didn't like. We feel... You know, we're constantly trying to find that place where we're accepted. And in this whole process, we are putting on the robes of somebody besides ourselves. We are taking little bits of ourselves, and as, as Robert Bly says, we are sticking them in this long bag. It becomes very, very long, hiding them away, putting that anger there, putting those tears there. Put, and, and, and the net result is we've self-alienated. We go out and we buy a product. We buy a set of clothes. You know, people relate to this. If I'm on a campus with uh, my suit and tie, my behavior, my mannerisms, my vocabulary are entirely different, Irene, than when I put my hat, chaps, and boots on and walk out to my, my horse barn. Okay? Uh, Everybody yeah, relates to that. Well, what is it that causes us to be chameleons that way, to change our personality, even our, our vocabulary, everything about us because we've changed our clothes? It would appear that we have bought the image, you know? If I have jeans and, and uh, athletic shoes on, I walk different than if I have those uh, floor shine wingtips and dress slacks, you know? Uh, everything about us is, is packaged and and and. That represents how we see ourselves. All of that is anchored in some belief somewhere about 
how we should behave, what is acceptable, what we're capable of, what we should avoid. You know, many people are afraid of being successful. And you can generally trace that back to some point where the success as a young person brought them disfavor. You know, maybe the teacher said, what a great job, Johnny. You're the only one in the classroom that got that right. Now listen, all the rest of you, I want you to pay attention and do what Johnny does. And then you came out of the classroom and your friends were, thanks, Johnny. That yeah. was really cool. You sucker. You, up. you know, all of that adds in to forming both conscious and unconscious beliefs. Now it becomes incumbent upon us to really understand this. Today, utilizing functional magnetic resonance imaging, a technician watching your brain will know what you're going to decide as much as 10 seconds before you know what you're going to decide. Let me repeat that. A technician watching your brain knows what you're going to do, what you're going to choose before you know. Because 90% of your decisions are made in the unconscious. They're made by the nucleus accumbens. And you're just, you know, that technician is watching the brain work. Okay, he's going to choose this. He's going to choose that. Uh, and, and knows before you do. If, if that doesn't startle everybody listening in, it should. Because what it really means is this, this old analogy of the brain as a biocomputer may be closer to being correct than we thought. Analogically, what is happening is the unconscious, based on all these beliefs, is making calculations. And those calculations are going to give rise to your choice. And if you feel relieved that, hey, the other 10%, that 10%, well, I'm kind of in charge of, well, even that 10% will betray you because it is based also on how you're going to rationally examine all the information you have. And, th and there's a wonderful story that illustrates how that one works um, because it generally is also working unconsciously even though we think we're navigating it. Uh, there's a fellow, his name is King, is a psychologist that, uh, that facilitates habit training courses. And he, and he once told me a story about how he tried to lose weight. What he did, and he was weighing maybe a couple hundred pounds overweight, what he did is he decided he'd move to a new city. He, Because he lectured about habits all the time, he really needed to, you know, more effectively control his weight. And it was a food issue and how he used food. And since he, he typically had more than a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts a day, and there wasn't <laughs> a, a clue. Yeah, and there wasn't a Krispy Kreme in his new... Uh, community, he had to get on the freeway, go down the road about five miles to get to one, he would just stop Krispy Kreme and the weight would peel off. Well, this strategy worked for a couple of months. He's losing weight, he's doing really good, and then he has to go, you know, he has to get on the freeway. The minute he's on the freeway, what comes to his mind is Krispy Kreme. He says, what happens this? I'm on the freeway, I think Krispy Kreme. I could smell and taste those donuts. And, and, and part of me said, oh, Krispy Kreme. Well, we've been really good. You know, we haven't had a donut in, in, in a couple of months. We could stop. No, you don't want to relent to that. You lecture about habits. You know how, how, you, how habits work. 
don't want to do that. Yeah, but, you know, I could just have one donut. One donut isn't going to hurt anything. It's the but you know you wouldn't have just one donut. You know that. Well, I was going to stop and get a cup of coffee. I'll get my coffee there. You know better than to do that. That's too much temptation. And this dialogue went on with him until he found himself parking in the Krispy Kreme parking lot. I think just about everybody can relate to that, you know. Maybe you decided you're going to give up chocolate. You're not going to have chocolate. And somebody offers it to you, and you're, well, you know, it's only one chocolate. I don't want to offend one them. Bite. Just it one. isn't going to hurt anything. It's only one. Maybe you even ask yourself, is it okay? And if something comes back and says, sure, it's only one chocolate. Go ahead. You know, that's the other 10% of our dialogue, the other 10% of our choices. That's how they get dialogued. The 90%, well, that's already predetermined. You know, it's going to come out. We're going to make the choice. And, and, and for hidden reasons, for the most part. And that's very powerful. Um, it's time for us to go to break again. I can't believe it. When we come back, I want to talk more about how you can get to this, uh, how you can discover what it is that's sabotaging your behavior. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Eldon Taylor, saying, come right back. We're going to talk more about beliefs. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. We let so many outside factors mold and shape our lives. Technology, instant delivery. We live in an on-demand world. What's happened to the compassion, the kindness, a better pace? Listen to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. We'll bring that kindness and compassion back to our world. Our guests come from around the world and will discuss what's being done and what we can do to bring our lives back to order. Might Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Is there a real magic formula for success or is it something more? Does the divine nature within, when activated, become a powerful unified force that catapults an individual to greatness? Join visionary host Sharon Rose Washington, author, empowerment life coach, and energy healer to explore the answer to the big question of why we are here. She'll have amazing luminary guests ranging from business thought leaders to top celebrities. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. 
Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Eldon Taylor. We've been talking about beliefs. And I want to change gears just a little bit, switch gears a little bit. Because of all the things in the news, and it's I don't know whether there's more violence or whether we're just able to hear about it so quickly, so often, um, you know, so globally. But one of my questions is, in the light of all of this violence going on in our society, what's your opinion about the influence of the violent video computer games and all of the other things children are are um, exposed to now? Uh, how do they influence the development of their beliefs about human life, etc.? Well. We could do an entire show. I know. We might have to. It's an absolutely, I mean, that's a very, very important issue for all of us to be aware of. There was a time that I would have said, unequivocally, you know, all of these uh, games serve absolutely no purpose. Uh, They're corrupting. The fact is, and and I, I prefer to be data-oriented, so that what I can say to you as an empirical basis, it is not some opinion, per se. The fact is, we see some advantages out of young people playing certain kinds of games, and we see disadvantage from certain kinds of games. For example, the game Grand Theft Auto. Uh, A study looked at pre and post attitudes towards theft, towards drinking, towards drugs. Then players played the game for a week. Then they were post-tested, and we discovered that their attitudes changed, that they were much more relaxed and, and less concerned about drinking, drugs, or theft. Now, this is a game in, in which you, you steal cars. Right. <laughs> you, you do a lot of drinking. And, and there are a lot of drugs. This is that your avatar is involved in in doing the things that what we saw as a result of this study actually changed who you were. Now, there is no doubt, but first person shooter games increase hostility and aggression. The data on that is robust. Uh, there should be no one except a game manufacturer that might even challenge it. There is also an age relevancy here. We can take young people, uh, and we we can ask them, here's, here's one such hypothetical. How many, well, not a hypothetical, but one such instance. Uh, how many pets do you have? And this particular child, a young lad of uh, maybe 10 years of age, said he had three. So, well, what are they? Well, I have my, my two cats and I have my horse. We live in an apartment in New York City. Where do you keep your horse? Oh, my horse is on RuneScape. RuneScape is a, a game, a, a first-person role-playing game, MMORPG as they call them, uh, that in, in, in this game, this young man had a horse, and he had named the horse, and he would get into the game, and he would ride his horse. Well, the game isn't designed for 10-year-olds. It's designed for children much older. There's a lot of things that happen in this game that can really upset children. But my point is, this young man couldn't tell the difference between the virtual pet and the real pet. 
In other words, there is a merging here of the separation of fantasy from reality. Well, if you take that and, and you, you move over to these first-person shooters and you think about all of the killing that goes on, especially in games where you're killing a human being, not some dragon, not some strange dinosaur-looking, lizard-looking alien, but another human being where you're going through and you're getting points for shooting women yeah. and, and they're very children. graphic. Yeah, they're very graphic. Very they, graphic. They bleed. They, you know, they're very graphic. They not only they not only increase hostility and aggression, but they distort your perspective of reality. In a in a way, they are trainers. Think of it this way. Uh, the young men at Columbine hadn't really shot guns until that morning, except in virtual uh, operations such as arcades. And they had no misses. So in other words, this is kind of like a, a pilot entering a simulator. You're learning to become a shooter. You're learning to to kill people. And And we do have instances where young people have shot another person, uh, not realizing that they they couldn't just reincarnate. They couldn't just right. get up. So here's the fact. And these, these again, are facts. And, and parents out there, everyone else, can you can come to your own conclusion. There is a systematic desensitization of the arousal uh, mechanism in the human being that is going on systematically in the media, and that goes for television, movies, as well as games. By that, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, what was required to elicit an arousal was significantly less than what's required today. Marilyn Monroe's skirt blowing up because she crosses a a street fan, a, a, a vent from the subway, is hardly tintillating today. But in the yeah. 50s, it was arousing. Today, primetime television is showing sexual images that would have been triple X 50 years ago. We see, let me give you a, a very, you know, pointed uh, example with, with regard to violence. Sylvester Stallone in his movie First Blood, made in 1982, uh, killed one person in the entire movie. Total number of people that were killed, one. Okay. In 1985, with Rambo First Blood 2, the number of people killed were 69. Big difference. Oh, and in 1988, just three years later in Rambo 3, let's whack 132. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, and in 2008, Irene, in Rambo 4, killed 236 people. And you know how long it took in the movie before the first one was killed? Two minutes and 59 seconds. In other I... words, this illustrates our appetite. We have to, in order not to be bored now, we have to have arousal. And, and, and that means that the producers have to give us more and more sex, more and more violence, more and more that stimulates our arousal. Otherwise, we're bored. We walk away. Well, we take children today, not adults that began 
their life in the 50s that are systematically looking for more and more because they've worn out on the Marilyn Monroe. But we take very young children today and immerse them from the get-go in all of this violence, all of this sexuality, and it absolutely distorts their worldview. You know, you said a word that I've heard lately, and it isn't a word that's hardly ever been in my vocabulary, and that's bored. My 10-year-old grandson, 9-year-old grandson, was just here, and he talked about being bored. Now, he has all kinds of things at his disposal and, you know, friends and all kinds of, you know, anything. But he was bored, and I've heard that now from young people a number of times in the last month or two, and I'm thinking, what's with bored? How can people be bored? Think about the amount of stimulation that these young people come into the world and are immediately immersed in. I mean, you and I are are both old enough. um, Well, I'm not going to You have to go I am old enough to remember tube radios. And sitting around listening to radio shows in the evening, like Inner Sanctum, you know, a family thing where we gathered and we and we heard a radio show. And then along came television. And wow, and then, it, it you know, television got colored and eight tracks moved to, well, records moved to, eight tracks moved to, you know, cassettes. Okay, I'm old enough to see this whole pattern. Yeah, All me right. too, Eldon. But young children today, they come in. There are computers, there are smartphones, there are iPads, there are iPods, there's television. Everything flickers and flashes. Everything grabs their attention. In other words, the amount of stimulation available to young people today is astronomical compared to the kind of, that same kind of stimulation I had as a youth. I was quite happy to have the freedom to get on my bike and ride all day long on on a weekend. What a wonderful opportunity. Young people don't do that today. They're on their computers. They're on their their cell phones. They're they're, uh, texting one another. They're, you know, on the social networking. It is the constant stimulation that gives rise to the boredom. And, And so when you talk to young people today, if they don't have a game that they're involved in. If they don't have a text, and, and many of them are multitasking, they're texting on their phone while they're playing a game on their computer. If they, if you don't see that kind of activity going on, it's rare. You Go know, to the, a coffee it, shop today, sit down, and look around. They're all on a computer or on their cell phone. That's right. It's almost like, you know, it's an addiction. Uh, you can see people sitting, I have seen this so many times, sitting in a restaurant, and they're texting each other. They're sitting right across from each other, and they're texting each other. Exactly. Unbelievable. The thing that concerns me is after some several of these shootings, the, the question's been posed to the media. Do you think that this is a result of some of the violence they see on TV and video? And the answer is always, oh, no, studies have shown that it has no effect. That's false. That's yeah, totally where false. are they studies? I haven't heard one of those because anyone can get on the Internet, you know. You, we're all adroit at Google today. We don't say search anymore. We say Google it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and just simply Google, um, you know, correspondence between violence and uh, video games. 
correspondence between violent TV and video and, and uh, violence in the market. Uh, I have a pile of research on that. It's it, it must be it's well over an inch deep, and I'm going to tell you that unequivocally, there is a positive correlation between violence in television and increased violence. There is a positive correlation between um, the amount of sexuality and the incidence of sexual abuse, specifically the increasing uh, instance of pedophilia. So. You know, the fact of the matter is someone that tells you there's no correspondence, they're lying to you, or they work for the media, uh, period, end of quotation. It's that simple. Uh, but but again, I, I don't, you know, I'm not saying this to say all video games are wrong or bad, because they're not. No, some uh, of them are really there are, good. There are many out there that are just fantastic at improving cognitive skills. And improving hand-eye coordination, uh, to, to say nothing of programs that are educational, uh, and and the same with television. There are many educational programs, but we should all come to understand this. Every time we see a television commercial, every time we see a commercial, period, anywhere, it has one giant subliminal message: you're deficient. Yeah. If you're not deficient, you don't need their product. You know, you you don't you don't buy a life vest if you're not afraid of drowning. So if you're not deficient, you don't need that that hair cream or that that uh, makeup or that wardrobe or or that weight loss product or or that new medicine. In fact, nocebo research is showing us more than ever that all these contraindications listed out on medications actually create illness. So Absolutely. The mind is so powerful. And on that note, we're going to go to break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Eldon Taylor, saying stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Have you ever felt that it's time to get out of the box? Why are you putting that project off? It's already there in your mind. What are you going to do today to change your life tomorrow? Listen for Live Your Life with Melissa Brown. Get ready to expand the capacity of your heart and mind. Move yourself beyond the mundane and get prepared to do what you've been called to do. There is no time like the present, and the whole world is waiting for you. Tune in Monday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. 
Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Eldon Taylor. We've been talking about beliefs. Every parent should hear what Eldon just said about video games, TV, all the media, because it's really very, very important. Um, during the break, you talked about expectations. Let's talk about that just a little bit, Eldon. Sure. You know, Irene, it's important to understand that we have our individual beliefs, but many of our individual beliefs, they're really collectivized. We have collective beliefs, you know. Uh, some of our individual beliefs, I mentioned nocebos before the break. Uh, what we know about placebo research goes like this. It's really attached to value. If I give you a plain white pill, odds are, given with the right authority, 20-25% effective. Exactly. If I put an initial on it, it's, it's stronger. If I make it a capsule, it's even stronger. If I colorize that capsule and we even know what color, it's even better. If that capsule is in a fancy box, it's even more powerful. If I move to an injection, it's still more powerful. What What is going on here? I mean, when we get up here, sometimes we get 75 80% effective with a placebo. That's as effective as the medication. What's going on is a perceived value, a perceived attachment, as as a group, as individuals, we come to expect that things that cost more or that are more painful or something, they must be better cures. They must be more powerful. You know, what happens collectively is that we, we let me give you a very quick example of a, a real uh, situation. Uh, Roger Bannister said, I can run the mile in under four minutes. All of the medical doctors, all of the physiologists, even a physicist chimed in to make it very clear to everyone, the public at large, that was a physical impossibility. Bannister was wrong. Bannister was at Cambridge at the time. So it's absolutely wrong. Well, in 1954, May of 1954, Roger Bannister ran the mile in under four minutes. Now, here's an important thing. That's great that he refused to accept that, that limitation, you know. But here's the real important thing. No one had ever broken that four-minute mile in history. In fact, Greek uh, runners had been chased by wild animals to get him to break that four-minute. Four-minute was the barrier. It was a physical impossibility, but once Bannister broke it, within a month, his record was broke. And within three years, 17 runners broke the record. And today it's the standard. Lots of people, high school students, break that four-minute mile. In other words, we collectively swallowed this idea that it was impossible, and we held that physical restraint on ourselves, and 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 that can be that limiting. And my question is, how many of those beliefs do we hold that if we even were aware that we held them, we could we could break our own record in whatever it is. You know, we have collected those beliefs over a lifetime, and they'll differ with every individual as how many we hold. I do think we have to live into ourselves. I do think as, as you know, we're going to have thoughts continually streaming. And if we pay attention to that stream of consciousness, we're going to get a pretty good mirror on what we really believe. So if we're sitting there and we're thinking, you know, this year I'm going to earn a million dollars. I'm going to change my life and earn a million dollars. And we hear that little conscious sentry say, sure, what are you going to do about yeah, the bank? Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, well, then we know that we don't believe that we can do it. 
if we think, you know, gosh, I'm going I'm going I'm going I'm going to do something really new. Maybe I maybe I should go to risk. Maybe I should I I should do something daring. Oh, you don't want to do that. You know, that's just not a good idea. We know okay. that there's an objection from the unconscious. And that and objection once you is hear that, what can you do? Well, you know, the first thing to do is become aware of it, monitor it. The second thing is to understand in order to change, you have to be willing to examine every single belief you have. You can't hold on to some as inviolate. You have to look at them all, and you have to look at them fairly. You then can move forward simply by beginning to consciously make the effort to change you. You get that, that counterproductive thought, yeah, what are you going to do, rob the bank? You can simply say, cancel, cancel, cancel. You believe, the unbelievable power in that. You, at the same time you can do that, there are all kinds of technologies that can assist you. There are you know, methods that, that are personal and private, like self-hypnosis and autogenic training. There, there's also recorded material, uh, like the InterTalk programs that we were mentioning earlier. Most important is if you become mindful, then you begin making the changes as you become aware to them. You don't have to go get anything else. You just have that thought that says, you know, no, I don't. Yes, I do. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it right now in order to show you. You must be willing to change in order to change, but you absolutely have the power and the ability to do so. I'm going to harken back. Remember, that CEU. You can increase the gray matter in your brain by simply meditating 20 minutes a day for 30 days. Now, that, that means, look, if you increase the gray matter, you're going to increase, um, for all intent and purposes, the connections in the brains, uh, all of those little synapses, uh, which builds pathways for the neurons to travel. You're going to get smarter. You're also going to learn to genuinely relax. The body has essentially two budgets analogous to a government. It has one for growth. One for defense. Keep it on defense. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm worried. I'm, you know, I'm stressed. I'm, I'm constantly go, 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 go. And the go, go, go is not fun. You know, then I'm on defense. And on defense, the optimal operation of the endocrine, the immune, and the ANS just simply doesn't happen. I want to be on growth. I want to stay in a place where I'm relaxed and I'm calm and I'm enjoying my life and, and, and I'm not letting all these things that I've shoved back here in this long bag we spoke about jump up and force me to suddenly outburst and become angry at someone I care about or the guy that cuts in front of me in 5 o'clock traffic. I mean, after all, what did he just take from you? What's that worth? You know, is that worth burdening yourself with bad chemistry? Of course not. Becoming mindful, truly mindful of what you're thinking and why you're thinking it guy cuts in front of you in this example in traffic. Wait a minute. Why would I get upset at that? What did he take from me? A little bit. I mean, did, do I really think I own that ass? What is he forcing me to do? I mean, why is it that I'm going off this way? What if he has a small child in the back seat bleeding and he's in a hurry to the hospital? Would I feel the same way? By becoming rationally mindful of my reactions, my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts, I can begin to manage my own life. Eldon, we're going to count that as 
your words of wisdom that we want to leave with the listeners today. Next week, <clears throat> we're going to have the tablet, the Talbots back with us. They're the couple that sold everything they had and have been traveling around the world. They've written a couple of books. They have a new one called Dream, Save, Do, which is outstanding and can help you if you want to have your own personal, wonderful, private adventure. So come back next week to hear the Talbots. Eldon, thank you so much. We didn't even scratch the surface. You're absolutely going to have to come back. Maybe we should make this the Eldon and Irene show. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I would love to join you anytime. It's always fun to be with you. I love what you do, Irene. Keep it up. Well, you have so much to say. And you know, about your program, you know, I, I'm a skeptic with a lot of programs that say they're subliminal because I don't know what's on those, but you can trust what Eldon Taylor has on his, and they're extremely beneficial. So take a look, take a listen. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Eldon Taylor, saying thank you so much for being with us today. Come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for The Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.